Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, I, I want to share with you uh, tonight um, remembering 9-11. And uh, I have some video that I want to show you, and then I have some things out of the Scriptures uh, that I want you to uh, uh, understand, too. There, the Bible tells us that there are certain things that we need to remember and that we don't need to forget. And, of course, 9-11 has kind of been overshadowed this week by the death of the Queen. And... Um, I don't know how many of you, of course, there are those of us that grew up with the queen. Uh, My mother was only three years younger uh, than the queen. And so when Queen Elizabeth II took uh, her office and got coronated, um, I was 10 years old. And, of course, there was no television where we lived, but we would go to the movies and we would watch the uh, movie tone news And in our country, they kept uh, America uh, informed about the queen for the last seven decades, you know. And uh, we grew up with Queen Elizabeth. I mean, she was uh, a monarch, but those were the the war years. She served in the um, um, army in England. She (laughs) She was a mechanic, and they would show pictures of her fixing jeeps and and working on uh, automobiles and so forth. And uh, she was uh, different than any other queen, any other monarch that they'd ever had. And that's why I think the people loved her so much. She was in touch with the people. She made a a pledge to the people uh, of England, uh, the Commonwealth, Scotland, Ireland, so forth, uh, that she could not um, uh, vote for them to go to war. She could not do legislation but she could give them her heart, and that's what she did. And she gave her country and all of her subjects her heart. And she was a uniter. She really tried to keep the family together, uh, even to this day. And she uh, lived and served under 15 presidents, 14 prime ministers. And when somebody's been around that long, uh, for seven decades, she was probably the best known and most famous woman in the history of uh, uh, our countries. So I just wanted to uh, pay her honor and pay her tribute. I I told Jeannie several times that uh, Queen Elizabeth, my uh, my aunt, my father's baby sister, who is 95, she and the Queen looked almost alike as a young girl growing up and still to this day. Uh, my aunt, my father's youngest sister, and my mother looked a lot like uh, Queen Elizabeth. So it was, it was kind of sad to, to us. We knew she was going to pass because she's 96. and she's, But, you know, two days before she died, she appointed a new prime minister. And that's the way she lived. And um, we were disappointed. We knew it was going to happen, but... You still, you know, have a heart there when you see her 
no more. And uh, she was a special person. Amen. So now let's go to the, uh, the reason that I'm, I'm here tonight. And uh, I want to remember 9-11. How many of you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001? Everybody in here. Now, if you're under 21 years of old, uh, 21 years of age, you weren't born yet, so you know you, you don't remember where you were. But I'd like to hear from some of you. Um, where were you, uh, as Alan Jackson sang in his song, "The Day the World Stopped Turning"? Where were you guys? I was, I was working nights. Work. And that was in Kansas? Yes, okay. Anybody else? Do you remember where you were? I was at work also. You were at work also? Yes, sir. You heard over television? Yes, sir. Uh, about, yes, sir. I was in elementary You were in elementary school? Fourth grade. And you, fourth grade, and you got checked out because of what happened? Okay. That's awesome. Anybody else? I was at work also. At work also. Work. I don't remember I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was at home. Jeannie was at home. I know where I was. I was at the office. It was Tuesday morning, and I was at the office, and I was in my office, and uh, my secretary came in and said, Pastor, you need to turn your television on and see what's going on. So I saw everybody else out in the hall, so we all went out there and, and, and watched it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to share some little things with you before we get into the Word. I was concerned about my father because he was in his 80s. He lived down in Florida. He had retired. And he and his wife lived down there. My mother had died back in 68. He remarried, and they were living down there in a retirement community. And I was concerned about him because he was having just a little bit of emotional trauma and little signs of dementia and whatever. So I called him. I wanted to make sure he wasn't afraid uh, of anything. And he answered the phone. And uh, I said, Daddy, uh, are you all right? He said, sure, I'm all right. Why? I said, well, did you see on the news where terrorists attacked, flew airplanes into the World Trade Center and, and, uh, and so forth? He said, yeah, I saw that. I said, well, are you all right emotionally? Everything okay? He said, well, sure, I'm fine. I said, well, tell me what happened uh, on uh, 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 the day that uh, Pearl Harbor was uh, bombed by the Japanese. I said, where were you when that took place? He said, well, I was a freshman studying civil engineering at Little Rock Junior College right here in Little Rock. At Little Rock Junior College is now University of Arkansas at Little Rock. And it was on Hayes Street. Now, some of you won't remember, Hayes Street was gravel. That's University, of A University Avenue now. Uh, and west of Hayes Street, there wasn't much here except woods. That, that's where the end of Little Rock was, Hayes Street. And the only reason I know this is because when I was in the liquor business, I used to call on a liquor store Hayes Street Liquor. And everybody wondered, why is this 
liquor store named Hayes Street Liquor when it's on University Avenue. I said, because it used to be Hayes Street. And that, that was a dropping off place. So I asked my dad some more questions. I said, well, what did you do when you heard that the uh, Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor? He said, well, you got to remember there was no television, no instant communication, no internet, nothing. We had to wait until we heard it on the radio. And he said, uh, we all did the same thing. I said, what was that? Now, remember, he's 18 years old. He said, we all went down and enlisted. That's what everybody did. And so he said, after I enlisted, uh, when we realized that we were going to be at war, uh, he said, your mama and I eloped and got married, and he shipped out, and, and nine months later, I was here, you know, that kind of thing. A lot of people did that, a lot of families, and we lived with her parents uh, until he got home in 45. So the world changed in 1941. The world changed when John F. Kennedy was shot. The world changed when Dr. Martin Luther King was shot. The world changed uh, when the World Trade Center was uh, attacked. And, you know, in uh, Pearl Harbor, there were 2,200 people killed in that attack, mostly military. But at 9-11, there were 2,700 people killed. So, 9-11 was the largest catastrophe of invasion, an attack on American soil that this country had ever had. And I was privileged, I don't know if you saw Arkansas Live on Friday, September 9th, but I had Lieutenant General uh, Joseph Worley uh, from the U.S. Air Force retired as my guest. And he was in the Pentagon on that very day, and I had him tell his story. Uh, he was uh, standing looking out the window at the planes that had already flown into the Trade Center, and he said he told his fellow airmen, he said, you know, I bet we're next. He said, there's some, there's some more planes coming. He said, there was nothing we could do. The Pentagon has no armament. They had no way to defend themselves. So they just braced for whatever would happen because they said the, it, it, the attack couldn't come from the top because of the Pentagon. It'd have to come from the side. He was facing east and the uh, Flight 77 that hit the uh, uh, Pentagon came from the west. And he said, um, of course, immediately everybody began to, to uh, assume their uh, duty stations, and they began to run and take the wounded out, and those people that were, uh, that were hurt, those people that were killed. And he said, we wondered if there was going to be another plane, a fourth plane, and, of course, there was, but it was hijacked in, by um, some of the passengers and uh, it went into a field up in Pennsylvania. But it was intended for either the White House uh, or the Capitol. And he, they foresaw that there would be another one. Um, if you remember anything about that day and the follow-up uh, of 9-11, you'll know that Todd Beamer and several of his fellow passengers uh, are the ones that took back uh, flight, what was it, 73, United Flight, uh, flight 73. 
And uh, I recently listened to the phone conversation between the Verizon operator uh, that talked with Todd Beamer and prayed uh, the Lord's Prayer with him over the phone. Now, Jeannie had interviewed his wife, Lisa Beamer, uh, 20 years ago, right after it happened. And she came on her program in his presence and she interviewed her as to what she was doing and how she reacted to all that. But it was real interesting that the lady, and I'm telling you all this for a reason, the lady that had received the phone call, Todd Beamer, uh, was a young man who was on a business trip, and uh, he was just one of the passengers. He said there were three terrorists. Uh, two of them had knives, and one had a bomb strapped to his waist. And he said they took over the aircraft. And he said, we all started talking, and he said, we decided that we were going to rush them. They'd already gotten into the cockpit, and we were going to take the aircraft back. Now, these are businessmen. I think Todd Beamer was like 30 years old, something like that. He said, first thing he did was he got the uh, air phone on the plane to call his wife. I I'm sorry, to call um, somebody and let them know what was going on on the plane. He didn't want to call his wife because he thought we could uh, take the plane over and therefore they wouldn't die and he'd be coming home. He didn't want to upset her. And the lady that answered the phone, uh, answered the phone uh, her name was Lisa also. And so they got to talking to each other. Now, can you imagine terrorists, the plane, and the, uh, Lisa, the phone operator, said she could hear a lady screaming and the flight attendants and hollering and all that kind of stuff. But she said, Todd Beamer was the calmest individual I have ever talked to. She said, I'm at headquarters and he's on an airplane on a flight phone. And he was telling me that the terrorists had taken over, over the airplane and that they were getting ready to take it back. And she said, I was more upset than he was. He just calmly told her what they were getting ready to do. And he wanted her to call his wife if uh, something happened and let her know uh, what happened to him. And he, she said, after a, a skirmish and noise and screaming or whatever, uh, he turned to her and said, okay. He said, let's roll. Anybody remember that? Let's roll. And they went, and of course, they took the airplane and it, it crashed in a field. They have, uh, definitely didn't take it back, but they all died. And when we uh, celebrated the uh, first anniversary, uh, we issued, at our church, we issued those little rubber name uh, tag bands that you put around your wrist, and we had the names of all of the uh, heroes of Flight 73, 43, whatever it was, and, and we all wore one. I got Todd Beamer's, and I wore mine. And everybody had a name band of somebody that was on that flight. We also had first responders representing those people. Uh, we had medical people, military people up on the platform. And uh, I think Lisa gave a video presentation that we showed the congregation. Uh, what were we doing? We were trying to remember what happened on 9-11-2001. Now, why is that important? Because today in our culture, uh, we have short memories. 
we don't want to remember things that are unpleasant. Uh, I often thought, why do we uh, remember uh, the uh, tragic things that have happened in our culture, the assassination of, of presidents or preachers? or uh, Why do we want to imagine and remember these things? Why do we have uh, bronze statues down at the state capitol uh, of the Little Rock Nine? Why do we have all of the memorabilia of the uh, segregation uh, stuff that happened in Little Rock? It seems like, it seems like we'd want to forget that. It seems like we'd want to sweep that under the rug or not remember it anymore. But I've discovered that there's something in the Scriptures that encourages us to remember certain things. And there's a reason for it. And that's why I wanted the opportunity to share. And of course, I knew I was going to be ministering here uh, tonight, but I wanted to share about remembering 9-11. And I think you'll uh, understand why. Uh, let's go to uh, Psalm 78. And let's look, Psalm 78. And listen to uh, the words of the psalmist, verse 40 through 42. Psalm 78, 40 through 42. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness, this is talking about Israel, and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Uh, it is possible to limit God in your life. They did. Verse 42 tells us why. They remembered not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. How He had wrought His signs in Egypt and His wonders in the field of Zoan. You have to remember when God delivers you from things, you have to remember these things or you limit Him. You actually are, are not limiting God in His being, but you're limi limiting Him in His ability to minister to you. How many have ever had major things happen in your life that were a blessing from God? Good things. I mean, forward motion. He wants you to remember those. How many of you ever been in a catastrophe, a situation like 9-11, and, and there was death and destruction and disappointment, and as the old country song, gloom, despair, and agony on in. I mean, you've, you've been there, it's been hard, and you are, are trying to forget about it. Well, did God deliver you out of it? Did you eventually overcome it? Uh, a death in your family, a car wreck, I mean, you name it. You remember how God delivered you out of it and how He blessed you and how you overcame it? He wants you to remember those things. Yeah. Amen. Amen? I didn't, I didn't finish our little questionnaire about where you were on uh, September 11th. Anybody else? Where were you, Bill? Where were you when that happened? You were working. Everybody's working. All the way in the back. Ryan? Okay, you saw it on TV. Anybody else? Everybody saw it on television. What did you think when you saw those planes fly into the Twin Towers? What? 
shock? Yeah, it wasn't real because we've seen things like that on television and movies and so forth. We didn't, we didn't think it was real. But then, and I'm not trying to be uh, gory here, but then you begin to see bodies falling down. You can still go on uh, YouTube and they have got some pretty close-ups of people just jumping out of the windows because they knew they were going to die anyway, so they're not going to wait until uh, the smoke or all that uh, over overcame them. The first responders, you know, a lot of them died because they were the first ones uh, up the stairwell. Have you gone back and tried to think, okay, what would I have done if I was on the 60th floor, if I was on the 80th floor? What, what, what would I have done if I knew what was taking place and what was happening? Would I have tried to go down the stairwell? Would I have jumped out the window? I don't think I would have jumped. <laughs> I think I would have stayed. But I'm a Christian. A lot of those people weren't Christians. Uh, Jeannie and I ministered in a church that's two blocks away from Ground Zero. The pastor was a friend of mine, and I called them to see if they were all right. He said, yes, we're all right because we live across the river in New Jersey, but said a lot of our church members worked uh, in those buildings. I said, well, are all of them all right? And they said, yeah, it's an amazing thing. Uh, our congregation started telling us stories about how they got up to go to work that morning, and for some reason, they didn't feel like going to work. And they had to battle condemnation because, you know, I need to go to work. I'm supposed to go to work. But they said they just had a strong feeling not to go to work that day. Some of them called in and, uh, uh, and played hooky. They called in and falsely reported that they, you know, didn't feel well. And so they wouldn't be at, at work that day. So I guess they got over lying about it, but they didn't die. <clears throat> and they said it was an interesting thing, that they, a lot of stories of people. And you can glean from this. If you wake up tomorrow morning and uh, you don't feel like going to work, now, now don't, don't tell your boss I said this. <laughs> you, you don't feel like going to work? Analyze why you don't feel like going to work. No, no, no. Because <laughs> in 1988, Jeannie and I were in a wreck out on Markham Street, and we were on the way to the airport to meet her uncle, uh, Uncle Billy. And he was passing through. At that time, he was the president of Auburn University, and he was stopped in Little Rock, and he wanted to have breakfast with us, so... He called us and said, meet me at the airport. It was a cold, rainy October morning, 1988, and we did not want to go. In fact, both of us got on the phone and said, you know, Billy, we, uh, we, we, were, we were preparing. I was preparing for uh, a teaching session, our college, Bible college, and Jeannie was preparing. Uh, we were both preparing to minister, and we, we didn't really want to leave, get dressed, go out to the airport and have to come back, lose a whole day. But we let him talk us into it. 
because we don't see them that often. We got in the car, and it, it was a, a new car, a nice car, 1988 Cadillac Sedan DeVille. The first year that they put computers in automobiles. We got out there in the middle of the road, and the car just shut down. Everything went off. All the computer failed, and all the systems went down. And the car just stopped right in the middle of a four-lane highway, a four-lane road. And I, I didn't know where the flashers were. I couldn't find them. Now I think they put them up on the dash where you can see them. But these were underneath the steering column, and you had to pull a lever down. So I was down here, and I looked in the rearview mirror. There was nobody coming. But just that short time that I looked down there and pulled that knob, a big old tire truck, wham! hit us from the rear, knocked the car 38 feet, broke Jeannie's back in three places. We came to, our feet were up on the dash like this, knocked our shoes off, knocked my watch off my hand. And um, we were a little bit dazed. Somebody came knocking on the window. There was somebody standing over there watching the whole thing. I said, are you Okay. And I was trying to get the presence of mind. I knew that I could have what I said. So I was trying to structure my sentence positively. Well, I wasn't okay. I wasn't anything broken. I just had a torn muscle here. But I said, we're well. And I also knew that if I said we weren't hurt, that the insurance company could probably use that against us, you know. And they said they weren't hurt. So I was very careful how I structured what I said. And, of course, then the ambulance showed up, and uh, Jeannie was in a lot of pain. We didn't know why, so they took her to the emergency room, found out that her back was broken in three places. She refused the surgery. Uh, they wanted to put three rods in her back the size of this pen to strengthen her spinal column. But she said, no, I'm not paralyzed now, and I don't want you cutting on my back. I love God, God loves me, and God is my healer. They thought she was in shock. But anyway, uh, God did heal her, and uh, she's fine today. But we've talked about this a lot of times. We say, okay, why, especially after it happened, why did this happen? And the Lord said, okay, go back and think about what you were planning for that day. You were both planning to study and prepare and pray for your upcoming classes. That's what you were anointed to do that day. That's what you had decided to do. That's what you were compelled to do. And you let your uncle, no, no criticism to him, let him talk you out of what you were scheduled to do. Let him talk you into doing something else. And we learned that if you're on an assignment, if you're called to do something, if you've got plans made, stick with the plan. Don't let anything pull you away from the plan. And Jeannie said later, she said, you know, I realized how people wind up in heaven and don't even know how they got there. So you need to really make sure that what you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing. And don't let anything or anybody come along and talk you out of it. 
pull you away to do something else. Amen? If you feel like going a different way to work tomorrow and you don't know why, do it. God may be saving you from something more than just traffic. He may be saving you from some kind of... Uh, I, I, I've never seen so many people run red lights. I don't... I don't when I... And the intersection, there's a traffic signal there, and it goes green. I don't go immediately. I wait, and I look this way, and I look that way, and then I go, because I see so many of them just, wham, they go right through there. Okay, so not remembering things limits God. Israel did not remember what God had done for them, and it limited God. Not remembering allows a potential repeat of the same thing. If you don't remember something, it poses a potential repeat of the same thing. So you need to remember things. Remember why things happened, why they didn't happen. I like to look at it this way. You, you need to analyze things. Don't just take something, you know... For granted, analyze these things, question these things. I'm not talking about in doubt and fear and anxiety and anger, but analyze what happened and remember that. Mark it down. A potential threat uh, of that same thing happening again because you don't remember it. Sitting around talking, do you remember when we so-and-so, so-and-so? Yeah. Do you remember, Jeannie and I do this quite often, we say, do you remember when we went down so-and-so or we did this or we traveled there or we went, you remember what happened? Do you remember what was said? Remember those things. Remember analytically what, what caused a situation. And it'll prevent you from repeating the same thing. Are you there? Okay. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, you'll have to admit, as much as I did not like to admit it when I heard it, September 11th, 2001, uh, we all heard this narrative coming from the press and uh, from people in positions uh, of authority. America will never be the same again. America will never be the same again. But it'll never be the same again as a nation. And I rejected that at first because I just didn't want to agree with that. I wanted things to be the way they've always been. But you'll have to admit, honestly, America changed September 11th, 2001. Things changed. Airlines, security, protection, you name it, just go down the list. America is not the same nation that it was before uh, 9-11. Fortunately, we've not had another terrorist attack. And as much as you don't like having to take your shoes off at the airport, uh, but we've had all kinds of ridiculous things. <laughs> Who would have ever thought that somebody would get on an airplane with a bomb in their underwear? The underwear bomber. <laughs> Who would have ever thought that you'd have to take your shoes off? You know, and people are suspicious, especially 
if these people are of um, a different culture, a different race. Our friends, Harry and Cheryl Salem, you all know Harry and Cheryl? Huh? Yeah. And they were in New York on 9-11. And they were in their hotel room. And all of a sudden, knock on the door. Harry went to the door. And there were CI agents, guns drawn. And they said, are you Hari Salem? Because that's his name in Arabic. His name today is Harry Salem. But he is Hari Salem. <laughs> they said, are you Hari Salem? And, of course, Harry said, uh, yes and no. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm Harry, I'm Harry Salem. And they profiled him because he was of Arab descent. And that's, you know, what had terrified everybody in the, uh, in the, the bombings, the, the terrorists. And he still has to deal with that. Today, he still, he says people avoid him uh, sometimes, especially in airports. <laughs> and every once in a while, I'll call him on the phone and just, I, I call him and he'll answer and I say, is this Hari Salem? <laughs> and he'll laugh. He says, who wants to know? <laughs> but things did change in America. And uh, so it, it, it impacted our country and our culture. So we do well to remember that. Jeannie said she didn't want to go up into a tall building for a while. She didn't want to go up where, you know, she couldn't get out quick. And I know there were times where we were on airplanes and uh, suspicious characters would come uh, on and sit down uh, beside us. Or I remember one time we were catching a flight. I don't remember where we were going. But there was this guy. He came and he sat right down beside me. And uh, he, he was kind of uh, uh, spooky. He was just real, you know, quirky. Something you knew was not right. And so uh, when he got ready to board the airplane, the uh, gate attendant came over to him and said, Sir, uh, you are not going to be able to board this, this plane, and you will have to stay here till security comes to get you. And I thought, Oh, my Lord, what's going on here? Now, they didn't hold the plane, but they wouldn't let him get on it. So I'm sitting right next to him. So I thought, Okay, I'm going to see what's going on with this guy. So I turned to him, and I started talking to him. He wasn't spooky. He wasn't a terrorist. He was drunk. <laughs> and he was acting kind of funny. And uh, they wouldn't let him on the airplane. And I was glad. So anyway. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now here's where I want you to change just a little bit and see the reason that you are uh, supposed to remember things. Uh, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let's go to verse 5, Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 9. Um, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do so in the land where you go to possess it. Now, this is Moses talking about possessing the promised land. He said, Keep therefore and do them, 
For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. Underline nations. Which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them? as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. But you shall teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. So he is exhorting Israel. I want you to remember certain things. And I want you to teach it to your children, to your sons and your grandsons. I want you to know that there are things that you need to always remember. And 9-11 is one of those things. If not a lesson learned, we need to show respect and honor to the people that were innocently killed on that day. And the brave first responders that went up into those towers and tried to rescue those people. I was listening to an interview on the radio as we were coming to church tonight. They were interviewing one of the candidates uh, for um, governor of New York. And uh, he was trying to explain what's happening in New York City. And he said because of the, uh, actually he talked about the disemboweling of disemboweling of the uh, New York City police force. He said we've had... Uh, uh, more people leave the police force in New York City than ever before. Uh, thousands of police officers have left, quit, taken early retirement. Then go over to Long Island and Nassau and they can get paid twice as much with less duty. New York City has become an infestation of criminal behavior. And it's because the judges are turning the criminals out faster than the police can arrest them. They don't have the public support. They don't have the mayor's support. They didn't have the governor's support. And, of course, uh, what was it, Mayor Como? Wasn't he impeached or he resigned? And the mayor of New York City uh, a couple of years ago when the pandemic was really hitting hard, Franklin Graham wanted to take a team of Christians into New York City and set up a tent and pray. And the mayor said, we don't need God in New York City. And between the governor and the mayor... They shut God out. The poor people of New York City are suffering today. They have the highest crime rate they've ever had and nothing they can do about it because the leadership, and they asked this candidate for governor, he said, what can we do to resolve this problem? He said, it's called leadership. You've got to have the right people in office that can stand up for these police officers. Amen. So we're to teach this to our children. Now our children in some parts of the country are going back to virtual learning. They're having all kinds of mental problems, emotional problems, suicide, uh, because they have no 
human contact with a teacher anymore. Some of the kids learned English and learned how to speak by watching the mouth of their teacher. Now they have no person to look at. And if you're facing that with your children, most of the Christian um, recommendations that I've heard, if you can, you may have to change your whole lifestyle. Teach your children at home. Homeschool them. That way you know they're going to get an education. You know they're going to get that direct uh, confrontation. If you can't do that, put them in a Christian school or uh, a private school. But the children are suffering more than anybody uh, because of the, the lack of personal relationships. Boy, that's part of life. Is, is growing up in a neighborhood and in a family uh, where you have personal relationships with other people. Amen? So he says to Israel, he said, lest you forget, don't let these things depart from your eyes. Teach them to your sons and your grandsons. It's real important that you do this. Now, I was fortunate enough, and many people have heard me say this over and over again, I was fortunate enough as a child growing up that I had both sets of parents, I had both sets of grandparents, and we were a, a close family, and we spent a lot of time together. Of course, back in the 40s and 50s, there was nothing to do. I mean, there was no, <laughs> there was not any entertainment. There wasn't many distractions. You know what we would do on, uh, for entertainment on Sunday afternoon. Now, you could go to the zoo. We went to the zoo a lot. I knew all the animals. <laughs> but, but you know what we used to do on Sunday afternoon? My dad, we'd all get in the car, and my dad would drive out to the airport. It was uh, Adams Field. And he would drive out to the airport and park at the south end of the runway and we would all get on the hood of the car and lean up against the windshield, and we'd watch the planes take off. That was entertainment. I mean, it was, didn't cost anything. <laughs> That's what we did for entertainment. We'd watch the planes land and the planes, and the planes take off. <laughs> or we would sit on the porch. There was no air conditioning. Everybody had a porch on the front of their house, and you had a swing. And that's what we would do. We would go sit in the swing on the porch and watch the people walk by, our neighbors. We knew all our neighbors. Hello. We never locked our house, our doors. We never, my mother never locked a door that I can remember. It was a different culture. Every night after school, we'd come in, and we would study, and then we'd have dinner. And, of course, my family was really regimented. We had breakfast at 6, lunch at 12, dinner at 6, and if you weren't sitting in your place when the meal was served, you did without. <laughs> Mama didn't serve two or three times a day. And you would sit and you would talk about what you did all day. Daddy would ask us questions. Mama would, of course, Mama never worked. She was always at home. And my sister and I, we'd sit there and we'd answer questions. And we'd listen to our parents talk. That's a big one. Listen to your parents. And when we go to Grandma's house, We'd all sit around the living room, and uh, we'd all talk. Of course, my family and Jeannie's family was totally different. <clears throat> uh, we've, Shirley, we've told Shirley this, too. 
My family, the Caldwell family, the British side, my mother was French, my father was English. But the English side, the British side, my grandfather lived to be 89, and every morning, even after he retired, he'd get up and he'd, he, he slept in a nightshirt all the way to the floor. He'd get up and he'd put on a coat and a tie just to sit in the chair and read the paper. That was it. That's the British. And at Grandma's house, we'd all sit around and we'd talk, one person at a time. Grandfather would talk, grandmother would talk, we would talk, daddy would talk, and just go around the room. Christmas, everybody would open one gift, everybody would look at it, and then we'd go to the next person, and you know, but when I married in the genius family, <laughs> they all talked at the same time. And, and our family, we were, you know, we all just sat there like this. We weren't emotional. We weren't touchy. Uh, you know, very seldom. I mean, after the initial hug from Grandma, that was about it. Nobody touched each other. And so, but when I married in a genius family, oh, my Lord. They were huggy, touchy, feely, you know, and you'd go into the house and, oh, and everybody's hugging her. Well, we used to go to Shirley's house for Christmas. When, when she brought in the movie camera to take movies of everybody and all the presents were under the tree, and she says, okay, you better get out of the way because all the kids were diving under the Christmas tree. But you know, I got to where I love that. I'd rather be with her family more than mine because, you know, they were all spirit-filled Christians. Mine, mine were not. And uh, we got to talk about the things of the Lord, and that's what I really uh, enjoyed. I'd rather been uh, with her family. So it's important to talk about things, to model things. It's, in it's important for, to remember things. My dad and I were very close. We used to hunt and fish together. And he would tell me many times, he said, Now, you remember what we did last year? Yes, sir. Or do you remember what you did that you shouldn't have done? Yes, sir. So you remember these things. Amen. And, and, of course, Moses is talking to the nation of Israel about the things that they had been promised from God and uh, the statutes. And he says, now, no nation. And he was addressing a nation. He said, you need to take heed to yourself to keep your soul. Don't forget the things which your eyes have seen. You know, the Jews are famous about that. They keep telling the same stories to every generation, every generation. I've been thinking, you know, about our great-grandchildren now. Uh, we don't get to spend as much time with them as we would like. And uh, there's a lot of things that we do that they don't even know about. They don't really know who we are. Well, they just know, just like Abby said to us one time, our granddaughter, when she was about four or five years old, she came out of the church and walked up to us, and she looked at us, and she said, I know who you are. Three or four, okay. And what she meant was she had just realized that we were her daddy's parents. That's what she meant. I know who you are. Because before, she just knew us as Mimi and granddaddies, but she didn't know what that meant. She didn't know who we were as far as, you know, origin. Then when she found out we were 
her grandparents, her father's parents. So our little grand, great-grandchildren now, they don't know who we are and could care less. I mean, we're not in their life, you know, on a regular basis. Well, I miss that. I want to, I want huh? Well, they're in Nashville, Tennessee, yes, yeah, so we don't see them but two or three times a year, but we'd like to see them more. Uh, they send us pictures. They sent us one here just recently where all the grandkids got together with their kids. And I thought, I'd have loved to have been there. I wasn't asked. We weren't invited. So I told our son, I said, next time y'all do this, I want you to invite us. I don't know that we would go, but I'd still like to be invited. <laughs> it's just a, such a long drive, you know. That's, but you need to sit around. And I'm, I'm, I know this is coming to our little great-grandson that we do spend more time with than all the rest of them. Jace, he's nine years old. And I'm waiting for the day for him to where I can impart things into his life, where I can talk to him about things. Now, his daddy's doing a great job. He loves his daddy. And his granddaddy, which is our son, Ronnie, is uh, doing a great job. But, you know, very few kids get to uh, talk much with their great-grandfather. When my grandmother did the family tree, she really, I mean, she did a good job. My grandfather Caldwell and grandmother Chauvin, they did a great job of going back and tracing the family tree until she found out that the Chauvin side, the French side, were pirates. And they came along with Jean Lafitte the pirate at the Battle of New Orleans, so she, she didn't publish the family tree. She was ashamed of us. But that's, you know, that's... That's history. I found it in the history books. Philip Hale Chauvin was Jean Lafitte's first mate. So they were all a bunch of cutthroats. <laughs> Pirates. But other family trees are, you know, more respectable. <laughs> so I'm saying all this to let you know that when you remember 9-11, you're not remembering a, a, a disaster, a terrorist attack. You're remembering something that this nation endured and overcame. Now, we've been there when the Twin Towers were there. We were there after they were down, and we've been back since they uh, redesigned Ground Zero, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And there's been no terrorist attacks since. Let me, let me close with this. Okay, Pastor, what's our remedy? Go over to 1 Peter chapter 4. But we need to uh, pass these things on to the next generation. I think there'd be less crime, less uh, gangs, less mischief, all this stuff, if we would have a way to communicate this um, with the next generation. Uh, because they don't teach it in school anymore. So you have to do it in the family. 1 Peter chapter 4, and let's look at verses 7 through 9, and I'm almost done. And then I want to show you the video of 9-11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. But, in the end, but the end of all things is at hand. Well, we can say amen to that. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent love among yourselves. Love covers a multitude of sins. The hospitality one to another without grudging 
As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, the last scripture is over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And let's look at verses 1 through 4. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we, say we, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So when we pray, you need to know that your prayer for all those that are in authority, you know, you, you've gotta, you, you can't, criticize or demean. In fact, the Bible tells you not to uh, uh, make light of dignities. We, you, can't, you can't criticize and demean uh, those that are in leadership. That's what elections are for, and elections have consequences. Voting have consequences. But we are to pray for all those in authority. Why? You say, well, I've been praying, Pastor, and nothing's changed. But wait a minute. He said, pray that you may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You know, Psalm 91, it says, a thousand will fall at your right hand, ten thousand at you. And all the things that happen around you will not affect you. It's kind of like the children of Israel that were protected in the land of Goshen. You'll be protected from all of these things that are going on. And it just seems like it's getting closer and squeezing in and squeezing in and squeezing in. But if you keep praying, uh, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And God will see to it that you are taken care of, that you are protected, that you are provided for. But don't forget these things. Remember, and we pray for all those that were impacted by that day. On all the airline flights, the Pentagon, World Trade Center, first responders, families of those that died. And we pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them even now, 20 years later, that they would see the love of God and they would see Jesus. Some of them are hurt, wounded, bitter, angry. And we pray that you would reveal yourself to them. And all of us that are seated here today, Father, may we never forget September 11th, 2001. May we always be reminded of your awesomeness and your love and your protection. But we'll not be naive. We will not be fearful. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for protecting us, our families, our country, our nation. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Praise God. Thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, Pastor Michelle, do you have a-